In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the first Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast. I'm Chris Harrington, lead Grizzlies writer here. I'm joined by colleagues Jeff Hawkins and Don Wade. In future, in future weeks, we'll try to work in guests from near and far, but we're starting off with a staff roundtable as the Memphis Grizzlies have emerged as one of the most surprising teams in the NBA this season, owners of a share of first place in the Western Conference after Monday night's win against the Dallas Mavericks. Guys, I can't remember what our precise record predictions were in the preseason, but I think we all had them in the, the late 30s, right? Which, you know, it's early in the season, that could still happen. We have, we have to be surprised about where the Grizzlies are. You can't not be surprised. I mean, I don't... I, I, but I mean, where they are is on top of the Western Conference. Right, right. That that part's a surprise. Who they're tied with, Portland and L.A., also a surprise. Right. Um, so yes, there's all kinds of. You know, I think there. Let's think about what's not surprising. Uh, Chandler Parsons not playing. <laughs> like that's not necessarily not. But more things are surprising than not about this team. And honestly, it's that pretty much everything they did during the offseason has worked. And it's rarer that you can say that. It, I mean, I'm not, I don't even mean about this organization. Right. Just generally, it feels like everything has worked. And so, yes, to say you'd think that they would be 11-5, and five and on t- of course we're surprised. I think I had 36 or 7 wins, and right. most people were in that uh, in that uh, in that area, and I remember so, us making fun of Robert Parra when he said they were going to win fifty games. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you got to get yeah. Robert Parra on. Go well, ahead. Well, and when moves were happening in real time, I think we were all in agreement. Hey, addition by s- subtraction. Ben Macklemore right. out. Deontay Davis out. And you hope you could get something productive from Garrett Temple. You hoped when you signed Shelvin Mack that you wouldn't need him as much as they thought they might need him when they made the sign. Right. I mean, I think that's. Signing was really kind of predicated on Mike may not be healthy at the beginning or not as healthy as we want. And he's been healthy, and Shelvin Mack has been fantastic. Well, so far, I, I, I think they should be concerned about whether he had his come-down-to-earth game on Monday night against the Mavericks. Um, a guy who's 28 years old, I don't know if you're going to keep shooting you know, your career best over the season. I, I think that would be some small sorts of concern going forward. But I agree with the general point that Everything that was their theory of the summer has been proven correct so far, like in gangbusters, in terms of rate, you know, the addition by subtraction, raising the competitive floor of the roster with these veterans, you know, the 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 uh, the high IQ, the team defense, all that. But I do think, even though this is probably the best offseason they have had since whatever the summers they brought in Zach Randolph and Tony Allen. I think it starts with not the new, but the old. I mean, I remember writing my season preview thing in the first, my, my training camp questions. And my first two questions were, number one, is Mike Conley diminished? Looks like no. And two, is Marcus all committed to this enterprise? And so far it looks like yes. And I think it really starts with those two guys being as good as they've ever been together. Yeah, two, two things about that. One is um, – I do think that was part of the bet in the offseason. Like, people have been wanting to get rid of Marc Gasol for whatever reason for forever. Right. So they've said, we're going to hang in with Mark and Mike for as long as we can, which I think has been correct, and betting that they would, um, as long as they're healthy, be good. Um, and very clearly, they, 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 that's the, the, the biggest part of what has happened here. I also think one reason Mark has been so good is that he is really happy with his surrounding, with the talent and the coach, 
that surrounds him. Um, and I include, as I talk about the offseason, uh, their good offseason they had. And I actually think they – I don't know they expected Shelvin Mack to be this good. I think they expected him to be the backup, and he, and some were skeptical of that, but he is. Um, but I think the bigger staff has been part of this too. Like they, right. you know, there was this whole call, let's go do a national search. Blah, that was, that blah, was my blah, third blah, question. Blah, blah. Does bigger like, staff have a plan? And so yeah, far, and, maybe and it does. It looks absolutely like he is, you know, it's whatever. There, 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 it was early last year, and but he looks like he is the right fit for this very cerebral team. It looks like he feels, um, and I've said this, but but like he feels particularly lucky after coaching in two toxic situations by by definition interim jobs tend to be toxic to be coaching this particular group of this particular players who may have a lower ceiling than some but who are total pros who want to win and do whatever they can to win every day um i think that's part of it and i think i think that's part of why mark is having so much fun and looking and playing like he's enjoying himself i think too it's impossible to uh to really quantify how important Mike Conley is, not just with the way he's playing, but what he means to Mark Gasol's demeanor. Right. I always felt like last season wouldn't have gone as wrong as it did as soon as it did if Mike had been healthy, not just because of the way he was going to play on the court, but because he kind of settles Mark, right? And if there are issues in that locker room, there are, I thought there were players in that locker room who probably felt like they could go talk to Mike, but maybe they wouldn't have been so comfortable going and, and talking to Mark. I mean, he is, he's not this big vocal guy, but in so many ways, he is the leader. And, you know, to use the old Jack, Reggie Jackson line that he would never use himself, the straw that stirs the drink. Right. A couple of, that makes me think of a couple, a couple of things. One, I talked to Conley, like, in the eve of the season, and I said, you know, given the way this team's set up and they spent their summer bringing in defensive-oriented players, is that going to put more to an onus with you to really carry the scoring load? And he, he of course, demurred, like, no, we're going to have a team that will have, like, nine different guys averaging 12 points. And, no, they need Conley to score. And what, you, what you've seen this past week in this run is that Conley, Conley scoring allows the defense to sort of have that impact and allows Marcus Gasol to play a little bit more of a total game. And that game against Dallas – like Conley carried them offensively, and then the team defense sort of put the clamps down. And in, in terms of what you said about Gasol, I, I did a podcast at the beginning of the season, a season preview Grizzlies podcast for a with the national podcast thing, and the guy, the Dunkin' podcast, and the guy I was talking to said, you know, Gasol is just he he's not as he's he's a step slow defensively. Um, he you really can see his decline defensively this past two seasons, and my response was that might be true. What we're going to find out is how much of that was personal, age, physical decline, and how much of that was environmental. Like how much of it was I hate my team, right? And how much did well, that <laughs> did that malaise impact his play? Because I think Gasol is particularly susceptible to that, right? Zach Randolph like throw him out there like he's going to go get the ball and go do whatever. It doesn't matter to him. I think Marcus Gasol is so temperamental and emotional that these sort of squishy things like culture and chemistry and all that really impacts his play. Yeah, but and to be fair to him, there were times when we would all be kind of gathered around his locker last season, and I felt like we were kind of visiting Gasol Island, you know. Right, right. <laughs> he's stuck there having to speak for the team because Mike's hurt and he's not there. And really there was nobody else that, that we were going to go to for right. answers because who else do we know is going to be here, right? And And who else had meant anything – to this franchise. So it was a really 
tough position for him, and it just beat him down in part because he's so committed to we have to play the right way, and he grew up on that with the Spanish national team, and that's always going to be in his DNA. That's not ever going to change. So we've made it into um, eight minutes of our first Grizzlies podcast, and we have not mentioned the name Jaron Jackson Jr., Speaking of surprising, what I mean, I, I was I was way on the record on board. I was a big Jaron Jackson booster. I have to say, as as I was boosting him on your radio show, Jeff, I was also warning people. I was saying, look, this guy's going to be great down the road, but he's probably going to average seven points and four rebounds as a rookie, and people are going to be disappointed because he's more of a long term prospect. He, he he's way ahead of schedule from what I I thought, even as a big fan of his. Well, particularly offensively, which I think we thought. He might make the impact, original impact on the defensive end and right. then struggle offensively. His father tried to tell us, if and, you remember, right. at the introduction, right? Yeah. And, and, not, and not only that, to the extent that he was going to struggle offensively, it was going to be around the basket. Well, all of that's wrong. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like the place where he's excelled He'll be a spot-up shooter, but you're not sure about yeah, the rest. It's, sure. it's flipped. Yes, it's, 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 he's been incredibly deft um, around the basket. Um, he's been... Okay, pretty good spot-up shooter, but not as much as we really need. We need more of that. He has been, been, been very good. He's been good, yeah. He's, he, he was good in the exhibition game. <laughs> right, right. He had the one, the one <laughs> summer league game, right. And then he hits him occasionally, but that's not what he is. He's He takes people to the rim and with both hands, particularly with the left hand. Um, so he's much more offensively skilled than I would have imagined. Now you're starting to see, obviously he had four blocks, blocks against Dallas, you're starting to see him assert himself more on the defensive end. But I think he's emerging as as not not the every game thing, but maybe by the end of the season, the other offensive weapon um, who you can count on or begin to count on. He's been fantastic. And not only that, a breath of fresh air in terms of personality. They, you get the great, great combination now that you can watch these old pros and favorites, which we've liked. But finally, we have some future which is one of the what made last year so miserable wasn't just that the team was bad it was the first time ever that the team was bad and there was nothing really to watch you know in phoenix right now you can watch young player team is bad but you can watch young players now we'd have this team that's pretty darn good and something to watch for the future which is in many ways the best of all worlds a guy like jaron jackson jr it's fun to sometimes just kind of focus in on them for a few moments and try to watch every little thing right? right so uh, the Utah because it's game. so new. I mean, right, we're, we're right. so used to seeing Mark and Mike, right? Yeah. So in the Utah game, Chris, when you were uh, on uh, the inactive list. Right. Um, what's the, Grizzlies, the Grizzlies, by the way, are undefeated in FedEx form when I'm in the building. Yeah, and we won't talk about my record. <laughs> but uh, there were a couple of times where he made nice defensive plays, a block or, or something else. But, you know, it's kind of an energizing moment. And then all the action gets flowing down to the other end of the court. Well, what does a young player often do then? When they get their hands on the ball at the other end, they try to do something that's outside themselves because they're jacked up about the play they just made. He didn't do that. He, he you know, got the ball, passed it to the next guy. If something was there, he took it. If it wasn't, he lets somebody else make a play. And for a 19-year-old, that was almost mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. He, he, he is he – is... He is defer for the most part. I think he's deferential to the right degree, right? Like he's willing to assert himself and his talent, but he's not. He's happy to like you know follow the lead of Gasol and Conley and these guys, and that's sort of way it fits sort of on and off the floor in that way, and that sort of you know old school, new school kind of thing. To go back to sort of the playmaking thing, Jeff talked about. I did some doing some previews for the games ahead. I did some stat look at some stat stuff today. 
So he's averaging after after the game against Mavericks. He's at 1.9 blocks and 1.2, 1.3 steals a game. The only rookies since 1980, the only rookies who have done both of those things over the course of a season are David Robinson, Akeem Olajuwon, Chris Webber, and Andre Karolinko. That's it. Those four. And I don't think this is like some, you know, early season fluke high watermark for Jackson. In fact, I think he's trending up. The last the last eight games, he's averaging close to three blocks and, you know, a steal and a half. And so his ability as a, as a defensive playmaker, as a guy, I think he's going to be a great defender, period. But right now, to make impact plays with his length and with his, his quickness and with his recognition, his instincts – I, there's, I don't want to say never because I don't know what Bill Russell looked like at the same age. But in modern NBA, I don't know if there's been a guy at, as a teenager who can do that at the level he's already doing it in the NBA. And he was booed. That's what the amazing right. thing is. Amazing thing is at FedEx Forum, I was there and on draft night, and he was literally. Well, those booed. other four guys I mentioned, they, they weren't 19 right. as rookies. David Robinson was right. 24 yes. as a rookie. Elijah Wan was 22. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the part of this. He and he looks young. <laughs> too right. like like the his the exuberance of the youth but yeah it's it's um it's fun because last night obviously uh you see luca who's at odds on favorite for to rookie of the year right now they would certainly give him the, the trophy but you do wonder um he is so much closer to a finished product than right. what jaron jackson jr is that you do wonder over the long haul um who's going to be the better player Pal Gasol was Rookie of the Year, but I think Shane Battier might have been the most beloved Probably rookie so. in franchise history. But you know what I remember from Shane's rookie season? And he became a really good player. Right. He got his shot blocked the first half of that season all, all the, time. the time. All the time. <laughs> and he would, he would do like four elaborate pump <laughs> yeah, things on the block. Yeah. And then, yes, I remember. Yes. It just I say that just to say that it's a hard thing to be a rookie at right. any age in the NBA. Particularly well, when you're not athletic like Shane. And it's gonna, yeah, and well, there's going to be ups and downs. I mean, it's a long season. He, he, you're only 16 games into it. There's going to be ups and downs, but I, I think, I think he's got a chance to be a really special player at a level as good as Conley and Gasol are. I don't think we've seen a talent at this level as a rookie since Pal Gasol, really, in Memphis. Um, how sustainable do we think all this is? I don't think any of us think they're going to, you know, be the one seed at the end of the season. No, but I, uh, I mean, you, you've said this, and I've, I've heard you say this. Nothing about it feels, nothing about it feels magical or fluky, right? There's nothing about this. It, the, what they're doing defensively, they do every game defensively. It feels right. like, and so, um, and so, what feels unsustainable to me is so. Last night, Mark played 37 minutes, and. When Mark's not on the floor, they're not that good. And so um, that, to me, is the part of this that is – I mean, we, it's injury to Mark or Mike, but it's also the heavy, heavy minutes that they're playing for 33. It's, ama- it's amazing he's playing as well as he is at 33, but can he sustain that level of right. minutes because they really do need him? And I think that's where you get into the, to the Noah conversation um, is would he be, would he be useful – as a five for when Mark is not there. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why they're, why they're considering him. Although you've reported that it's not imminent, but to me, that's, I, I've, that's been, I've been told it's not happening today. It's not, it's not happening. No one today. has told me whether it's okay. going to happen okay, at all, fine. but I was sure it's I mean, not the, happening. The truth today. The matter is like, like Dylan Brooks is going to come back and then their wings are going to get better. Like I, I don't, and I don't, Jaron Jackson's going to get better. And so, the only part of it that's not sustainable is Mark and Mike being healthy and, and wearing down or, yeah, I, I, that's the only part that, 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 that seems, you know, precarious to me. 
But the good news is you don't have to give any of the wins back you got, right? right. You're ahead of schedule, and you've got those banked. Um, this team in some ways reminds me a little bit of the Hubie Brown 51 team right. that went out and did what it did in the regular season by playing really hard defense and just playing harder, especially in games that, you know, it's a Monday night in January and nobody gives a damn, right? You know, and they went out and took that game anyway. This team has more overall talent than that team. And there's, an, you know. No, yeah, that's and, true. And, and I don't think there's anybody on that team that could do what Mike Conley, when he's right, and he's right right now, is doing. And that's good. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point in that the team defense – you, you, I mean, you look at you look at the lineup they're putting on the floor. Mike Conley is a former All NBA defensive player, barely, but he was, and he's he's quick with a six six wingspan on his six one frame. Garrett Temple is six six with I think like a six ten wingspan and is a high level NBA defender. Kyle Anderson is six nine with like a seven two seven three whatever wingspan and has had one of the highest steal rates and best sort of defensive advanced stats of anybody in the league last year. It's one of the reasons they signed him. Jaron Jackson is, I think, a, a, a prodigy defensively, um, emerging prodigy defensively. He's like 6'11 with a 7'4 wingspan. And Marcus also former defensive player of the year. Like That lineup is, so far in the season, that lineup is the best defensive lineup in the entire NBA that's played at least 100 minutes. So of all primary lineups, they're the best, best, defense, best defensive lineup in the league. It's not even close. And it's not a fluke. You just see them on the floor. They should be a great defensive right. lineup. And so as long as they stay reasonably healthy, like that's going to continue. Um, my, but I would get back to the health thing. And, you know, when I made my, my season prediction, it was based on the idea, once I saw Conley in preseason that he was, I thought he would be healthy. I, my, my season, I predicted 38 wins, and it was based on the idea that I assumed they would, or at least I projected, they would have a winning record when Mike Conley and Marcus All both played in games together. But they would have a losing record when they didn't, Right. And right now they're on pace to both play 82 games, and I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and so to me, that's the question. Like, you know, the, 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 the first five years of their career, I wish I had the numbers in front of me because I did it in the preseason. The first five years of their career, they, I think they played like a total of 35 games, the Grizzlies did, where they both weren't both on the floor. And then these past five years, it's been like 130 or, or something, something like that, right? They were averaging like 20 games a season without both on the floor. And so – to me, that's the great question. Like, are, are they going to – how many games are you going to get with both those guys, those guys together? If you tell me it's 70, I'm going to tell you they're going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I thought 70 was the absolute magic number that you right. probably had to get from the two of them if you were going to be hanging around. Now, as we've seen the start of this season, you know, the number it may take to get into the Western Conference playoffs may not be as high as we thought originally, which is right. good too. Well, the other thing, the number it might take to get, and I don't want to get too far ahead of this, but the number it might take to get home court is not going to be as high as we thought it would be either. And that may be a number that's lowered faster than even the make the playoffs number. Because I do think you've got 11, 12 teams that are legit playoff contenders in the in the West, but I don't know. I think Golden State will be the one eventually. I have no idea who's going to be the two seed anymore. Everyone thought Houston and, and, and Utah were the clear cut, like two and three. And Houston's coming up now, but both those teams have struggled. And there's not a team in the West other than Golden State when Steph Curry gets back that looks like a juggernaut. I I don't know if you're going to have – you might have a situation where four of the five best teams in the NBA are in in the East this season. It is remarkable to think about. I mean, you were were talking about the podcast that you were on that said that Mark had lost a step. Right. Then there was – Nate Duncan, who does a very good – I think he said the Grizzlies have the worst coaching situation in the league, right? I mean, it is yeah. it is remarkable to see how um, – I mean, 
I, listen, none of us predicted this either. Right. No. But this team was 100% totally ignored nationally. Well, even to, um, even today, even after the win last night, the win against Dallas to get, get them to 11 and 5, 538.com, they update the projections every day. They're projecting the Grizzlies to go 40 and 42. Right. It's funny, but I mean, Which it, might happen. In, in many ways, they might happen, particularly with the injuries. But like, they're also figuring, like Kyle, they're still figuring that. You know, I still still think there's some adjustment right. um, happening there. It's taken a while to figure out where he wasn't good early. It took him a while to, to figure out his minutes. But he has plays like he he, he missed a three uh, last night, and but he comes back and immediately just takes the ball from Luca in a, in a way like, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm impressed by their ability to, and I think it's why they don't close with Jaron Jackson jr. Their ability to figure things out on the fly. I mean, right. it is a really smart team. You do, I watched the Philadelphia game and, um, and, and just watching them work as a group at the end is I, really impressive. I, I think not playing Jackson is less about fouls and shooting and more about decision-making as the game tightens up, right? Absolutely. Who do you trust to make decisions, quick decisions, in the last three minutes of a tight game, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, a rookie can go out there and give you 28 great minutes, and then if he's in at the end and he makes a couple of really bad decisions in two minutes – how confident is he when he goes into the locker room after the game, too? I mean, I don't know if they're if that's something they're they're thinking of, you know, primarily. But there is a confidence thing in play, right. kind of as a secondary plot uh, with him. Besides, you know, whether you win or lose the game is, you know, they've right now it feels like they're in a really good place where they're bringing him along. It, but yet it doesn't feel like they're just bringing him along. I mean, this team needs scoring, but they're not closing games with Marshawn Brooks either, right? I mean, it's who do you trust to make decisions on both ends of the floor in a tight game? And so you take those those four veterans who start, and you, you take Jared Jackson and throw Shelvin Mack, you get two point guards and handle the ball, and good defenders and veterans. And so it, it makes all the sense in the world that you would close. I think over time that might change. Jermichael Green coming back might change right. that. And at some point, Jaron Jackson needs to be out there. But I, I don't see that as a big deal right now. Do you have any sense that they're, um, the clock is ticking on Marchand a little bit? Well, no, because I don't know. I, I think Mar- one of the things, to me, the big loss of Dylan Brooks is not the Dylan Brooks you had, but the Dylan Brooks you were about to get, right? He was about to be better, and he was trending up already. And I think he would have been much more trustworthy on the floor going forward than Marshawn Brooks or Wayne Seldon have been. And I think that's a problem for them right now. They are not getting consistent good minutes off the bench from their wings from from Brooks and Seldon. The problem is you where where are you going to turn, right? Um, they need they need some two guard wing player who can knock down shots and play good defense, but any anybody who fits that description is on the NBA roster. You know, those guys aren't sitting out there. You can find big men sitting out there waiting for a job. You can't find guards who can shoot and, and play good team basketball. Um, and so I, I, that gets us back to the Noah thing that, that Jeff brought up. I mean, they have this open roster spot. Um, they talk to Joachim Noah, Joachim Noah. Joachim or Joachim? Joachim, right? Whatever. The, 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 the former center from, from the Knicks. If they the sign him, we'll worry about right. it. Right. <laughs> they, they talked to him about a month ago. Um, it's resurfaced in reports. Um, it may or may not happen. I don't know. They have an open roster spot. Should they fill it now? And if they do, how should they fill it? I mean, do, do we think Noah would be a good signing? Well, I think the point you've made is is that you don't know right now. They're so precarious on the wing. And I, Don made the good point. I, Marshawn Brooks hasn't been good. He was bad last night against right. Dallas. He's been 
occasionally good. I guess, in fact, if to go back to the original point I made, that might be their one misjudgment that he would be a cheap Tyreek Evans, but they couldn't keep the expensive Tyreek Evans anyway. Right, so, right. And, and culturally, I don't think they wanted to. So for whatever. So, but yeah, Marshawn hasn't been good, um, but I don't see how you can. It's just like if if they lose a wing player right now, they will be desperate straights. Uh, they will be desperate straights on the wing until Dylan Brooks comes back. So I think it's probably keep your powder dry here. I think at the beginning of the season, I think Dylan Brooks was kind of caught in the situation of how do I go back to playing when I'm not an alpha, right? Well, right. I think that's kind of what's happened with Marshawn when he would yeah. he was he was in that alpha situation, and, and obviously that's what his situation was overseas, right? Yeah, totally, in China, yeah. Yeah, so now it's you're trying to fit in, and I think he's wanting to fit in and do things the right way. I don't think it's a, you know, a headstrong thing. I think it's just he can't get comfortable. Yeah, I don't think this team is willing to sacrifice team defense for, for some little boost in shot making as much as they need the shot making, right? Um, and so Marshawn Brooks freelancing is just not something they have time for, really. Um my thing with Noah, I guess, I, I do think, I mean, I said back in the preseason, they, should, they they needed another backup center, and I was surprised they signed D.J. Steffens. Honestly, I know as popular as that was, I, don't under, I still don't understand why they signed D.J. Steffens to a two-way instead of signing a big man who they could use for spot minutes. Um, I do think that is a need, but but I think the wing may be a bigger need at the moment. Like, if Dylan Brooks were here and healthy, I, it would make more sense to go out and sign a center. Um, I also wonder what that says about Ivan Rab. I mean, at this point, what, if Ivan Rab, if you would rather go sign Jokum Noah than give Ivan Rab minutes, I'm not sure what the point of Ivan Rab is. And so, I don't know. I feel like I feel like they, they would likely will add a center to the roster before the end of the season, but I don't know if I would do it right now while Dylan Brooks is out. And then, you know, what's uh, Javon Carter's putting up numbers with the Memphis Hustle in the G League, but, you know, that's kind of, as, as Chris Wallace said, it's like can be empty calories. Um, you know, you got to fill a role. Yeah. I mean, I think they'll need Javon at some point this season. Um, but, but we'll see, we'll, we'll see sort of where that goes. So let's start wrapping up. It's been our first Grizzlies podcast. Um, and we will be back, um, hopefully mostly weekly, sometimes with these guys and sometimes with, with guests, um, for Don and for Jeff, I'm Chris Harrington at the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast. We'll have uh, Tigers coming up soon. Memphis Politics will be launching. You said you can subscribe to the site at dailymemphian.com and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at, at dailymemphian. Um, thanks to the OAM Network and Gil Worth for hooking us up here and make sure to subscribe to this Christmas podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.